Welcome to the Continuous Delivery Podcast. My name is Zarar. I'm Chaba. I'm Cheesy. And I'm Hino. Today's topic is architecture. Somebody famous once said, you don't need architects, you need architecture. I would, would tend to agree with that. You know, I, I just go back to my experiences of where I've seen the best architecture. It's one where it kind of comes from within the team as opposed to something that's often imposed from the outside. That, that being said, in large complex organizations where we have a lot of different technologies that need to integrate well, there, there is uh, some, some value to having somebody who kind of understands some of those integration points and such. Uh, I, I, I think the risk of that, though, is that more often than not, I've seen architecture teams or architects come with a heavy hand and bring something that's in many cases unproven and that just adds tremendous amount of complexity to, to an application stack. So I think we do need strong architecture. I'm on the fence about needing a lot of architects. One way I've seen this role evolve a little is where an architect used to live in UML diagrams and perhaps dictate to the team what the application architecture or the system architecture might look like and what rules to follow and what 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 paradigms to follow in during development. I have almost seen an architect role kind of go from a technical role to a non-technical role, especially in big companies where there's so many systems out there and they take different sets of inputs and outputs and, and they do different things. And, and the architect has become almost like a, a purveyor of organizational knowledge than, than a more technical role. You are absolutely correct. If you really look at the, the, the historically, uh, these folks uh, who became architects, they truly helped the organization. They truly helped with this, with this knowledge. The question very quickly, however, became what else could have they done to kind of uh, simplify or as they were being removed further and further from, from being technical and just looking from this kind of thousand foot level, it almost was like a, like a self-fulfilling prophecy that we build these complex systems, meet architects, so, and nobody could understand these systems. I, I think you've highlighted a, a very important gap uh, that has existed uh, where, where may, maybe we went from a situation where architecture was handed down to development teams and they had to follow a certain type of uh, style, if you will, in their designs. Uh, and, and as you said, when, when those people graduated to the thousand foot level and the team stayed where the teams are, it created an architecture gap where, where nobody was necessarily doing that mid-level, higher level thinking when it came to designing software. I, I think the reason that, that, that mid-level has been abandoned is because in so many organizations, they've, they've replaced that with what I call the big box framework. For example, they've said, let's bring Spring Boot in or let's bring uh, uh, Angular or something like that in, uh, which all of these things look like they were actually designed by architects. They're big, they're complex. They kind of uh, define or specify almost that UML diagram that you were talking about earlier. You know, thou shalt put this type of thing in this type of a place. And uh, so with, with those patterns that are there, you know, that, that there's less of a need for the arch, quote unquote architect to get down into detailed design and say, you know, how we, we should design at, at that lower level or at that medium level. But from my perspective, uh, it is just as bad because these frameworks in and of themselves are just 
infinitely complex for what's necessary, you know, where, again, so much code that's being written is there to satisfy the framework or to, you know, what I might call overhead. We've been talking about technical architecture, um, and we've been talking about architecture at, at a variety of levels. Um, and the industry oftentimes is, is known as solution architecture versus enterprise architecture. And the areas that uh, Chaba was referring to earlier on, like uh, business architecture, that does exist in the field of enterprise architecture. Information architecture does exist within the field of enterprise architecture. And what uh, Cheesy was referring to in the very beginning as well, that there, then, then there needs to be something or at least one uh one role um that that is aware of how information lives and is shared within a large complex organization and ensuring that these systems can talk to one another uh, i think there is value in a role like uh like an architect there so from a, from an information perspective from how those business processes uh are supported and so forth when you're going down to the actual solution, you're making more fine-grained decisions, decisions that are related to a single component because how the framework is built is already oftentimes decided by those architects who build uh, Spring Boot or, or wh whatever the, uh, the framework is that you're using. Those architectural decisions on a component level, uh, technical decisions, if you will, they can completely be made by the by the teams themselves, by the, the people who are actually developing and, and, and coding. I still want to know who that famous person is who said that uh, you don't need an architect, you need architecture. Uh, it reminded me of um, planning is crucial, but a plan is, is useful or something like that. I'm paraphrasing entirely. It's actually very similar. You, you need to think about architecture. But it doesn't necessarily mean that you need somebody who holds that particular title and who makes all of those decisions in that space, right? Um, but you still need architecture as such. Mm. Uh, so, you know, that person was me. So, yeah, there you go. Oh, okay. Well, I know that famous person. <laughs> when, whenever you're talking about, uh, you know, if you're talking about like traditional CRUD apps that basically connect to three or four different systems and, and do a bunch of things, yes, I, I, I can buy that maybe that architecture needs to be downloaded to the team and the team is able to make decisions that that, that, that suit them and that get product delivery out the door in, in, in high quality. But there are certain certain cases where you do need maybe a, a little specialization. And I know we hate that term around here, but sometimes you need a cloud architect who will tell you how to actually configure your Azure Azure nodes or, or, or a cloud architect will tell you how GCP should be configured the best way. And th these are specialists in, in a particular area, maybe even a particular product who know a lot about that product that you're about to use to scale up your system or what have you. In that case, is it fair to ask the team to know the the nuances of, of complex products and complex infrastructure. In that case, don't we need somebody who, who knows this like the back of their hand so they can guide the teams? I, I believe that one of the big question is that how hands-on that architect is. Because in the moment, and, 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 and somebody mentioned here, uh, you know, the, like, like, like what level this architecture operates, like enterprise or, or application. And I, I, to be honest with you, I don't like this kind of distinction. I, I like to look at architecture the same way as we, I like to slice stories, just organizationally that, that if that person can see the big picture, but also then come down and to, to, to zero point to, to that particular technology and maybe do a little bit of proof of concept or, or, or do a little bit of pairing and coding. So kind of taking that, that high level concept and start applying in the, in, in the real world, 
that's that's tremendous power because you can prove very very quickly whether that idea could work and the second is it can also uh, fulfill a, a role of a mentor or a teacher or a, or a, or a coach if you wish so losing that ability to to getting back into the code is is, is actually preventing that uh, additional opportunity i disagree with this when you think of uh, of architecture you you end up in uh, in construction. I built a few houses in the past, and um, so one of the things that I was stunned by in the very beginning was that uh, an architect puts everything on a plan and decides actually how these things need to be to be built. And what the architect said, um, or what the architect had written on a plan, was completely overruled by the mason who was uh, who was constructing the the building. He said, like, yeah, of course, ar- architects they. They design these things based on their their knowledge and their understanding, but they're not here. They don't see which type of brick you have chosen, the uh, the metal wiring is that we've used, and so forth. So you, you have these big ideas. So Chaba, you mentioned about you mentioned the big ideas, and, and architects are there to 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 satisfy those big ideas. But then you bring in specialist specialists who make the smaller decisions uh, where you need them. When you need to make changes, you still need to get the approval from the architect, however, because they're ultimately responsible in construction, that is at least. The construction metaphor, it doesn't apply here at all. Software is infinitely different and there aren't physical rules that apply. It's more of an art than it is a science, whereas uh, architecture in is more of an engineering science field. What we do, even though we label it engineering, it's not engineering. So I, I just don't see that as, as, as something that, that I find applicable. And, and I think I've just seen so many, so many cases in, over my career where we have an architect who's come up with some grandiose uh, design that was absolutely uh, atrocious, that, that anybody with any experience whatsoever could shoot holes through it. I've seen cases where architects have brought architectures that were designed uh, in order to support one vendor or another. It had nothing to do with was it the right choice or not. And I just find that, that you know, I, I always go back to the Agile Manifesto, and this is one of those areas where, where I, I strongly agree with it, which is that the best architectures emerge from self-organizing teams. You know, yes, we do need somebody to make sure that that my Kubernetes cluster is is configured properly, but that's not the architecture of my software. That's maybe the place where it runs. I don't need an architect to design my Docker container. That needs to be something that the team emerges and that the team works on and it continues to grow. The team knows what is going to work the best for them. And to have somebody outside of the team say, here's how thou shalt design your software, uh, it, it, it always feels wrong to me. And thank you for saying that. This is, I think, a false equivalency. In the case of architecture and construction, there's a very, very strong law, law of physics, why software has absolutely has no laws, if, if you wish. There is there's nothing it has to obey. So, so I, think, I think I think a couple of points were raised. And, um, and I want to go back to the idea of standardization and frameworks. And I feel a lot of the decisions that we used to rely on architects to make uh, they were decisions around the longevity of the software, whether a decision we made right now would actually 
survive us for like 15, 10 years or whatever the, the time horizon is. And, and, and a lot of time was spent kind of figuring that out, you know, what kind of protocols you would use and how, how to organize our, our, our modules. And I think with frameworks, a lot of that stuff has been standardized. So the future proofing, quote unquote, I'm making giant quotation marks right now, the future proofing that's happening is happening via the introduction of uh, of, of standard practices and frameworks and technologies and they're the ones that guide a lot of the day-to-day decision-making uh, that, that happens on a team. I have a few things about that. EJB, Struts, uh, Spring MVC, etc. So in other words, Zohar, the things that you just said, you can go back 10 years, 15 years ago, and they were saying the exact same thing with just a previous version of the technology. So I don't think that longevity is baked into any of these. I think longevity is baked into embracing openness you know, as opposed to embracing a framework. I mean, it wasn't long ago that, that, that we were abandoning Corba because it was supposed to be the open f- future. And we were going to something that was much lighter at that time, e- EJBs. And uh, obviously that was like a complete disaster. I, I, the frameworks that we have right now, there are very few that I get the chance to use that I think that are, are good. I think they're pretty much overall pretty bad. They all seem like they were uh, designed by some enterprise committee, some enterprise uh, uh, architecture committee, because they try to handle every possible scenario. They create a lot of complexity. Uh, it's just, you know, I, I think those are going in the wrong direction. One framework uh, comes to my mind that that I think uh, was very beneficial for the software industry, and that's introduction of Spring, an inversion of control in general. Well, first of all, Spring wasn't where uh, it, that was introduced, okay? It, it had existed for several years before then. So it's just that spring was where they actually were able to build a community around it and, and start to get adoption. So, so the, but that idea predates that quite a bit. So, you know, so many of these frameworks, you could look at one small aspect of it and said, yeah, that's, that's based on a, on a good design principle. And, but what happens is, is as they continue to grow and trying to take on, new capabilities and try to address every possible thing imaginable, then then they just become so large and so bloated. And it's not possible for anybody to understand every aspect of it. You know, the, the thing that I thought that came out that was really good for its time, I think Rails was, was like a huge a step toward taking the complexity and the insanity that was happening in the Java world at that time and trying to drive toward a very simple approach. Uh, now we have every other language that tried to build something that, that's sort of learned from Rails, but uh, most of them have done a really bad job uh, of, of that as well. So we're, we end up with, again, very heavy. By the way, I'm not saying Rails was perfect. Rails had a lot of a lot of problems, but, uh, but, but, but it had a lot of good things that, that are trying to be duplicated right now. Has the architecture rolled transition from being a dedicated role which is required on projects to more of a supporting role to be used on an as-needed basis? And what are those use cases? 
while an architect in the in the past was more directive, I, I think that an architect right now needs to be more uh, supportive. So they need to be there. They, they have a certain set of knowledge that that individual developers might not necessarily have, right? So uh, I, as a developer, for instance, I do not necessarily know how to build applications for 2 million users. I, I do not know that. So when I'm building an application, I want to be able to rely on the knowledge of an architect to basically give feedback about the, uh, the design that we're building and so forth and so forth and so forth. Every application at every given point in time has to reflect necessary complexities to be able to serve the client the best. And I think when I think of an architect, I'm more I'm I more picture a very experienced developer who's been through a lot and failed a lot. And when I say failed a lot, I'm, I'm thinking back to the 2090s where we were all building frameworks and we were all designing these the, these grandiose things. Yet to find out later on that that half of it it wasn't needed. If this architect, if this person can bring this knowledge and almost mentor and and facilitate the conversation in the team to just design, just architect, just enough that is, 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 can help your, cl- your client and your customer at this point, I think that can lead to a successful architecture and then a successful architect. I think back to what we alluded to earlier as sort of the, the current, a lot of the current role, which is where you're more of an, of an integrator, i.e. you've been around for a long time at the company, you know all of the different pieces and parts of the of the system, or at least you know who knows those, and and you can kind of help uh, the teams understand some of the complexity of maybe enterprise companies. There is a valid role there. Uh, like we said, the frameworks have kind of come in place in that and some of that middle ground. But I th- I personally think that there's going to be a rebellion against the, the the frameworks, and that people are going to start to say this is this is bullshit. I don't need the right. 400 lines of code to put hello world onto a, to a screen or onto a web browser. Hopefully also start to see a movement away from some of the, the legacy languages that we have out there these days, which will bring in, in itself lighter weight ways of replacing these frameworks. So uh, the pure architect, I think, yeah, maybe the integrator, that there is a rule there. Uh, beyond that, I think allow the teams to ideate, allow the teams to iterate uh, towards simplicity. That would be what I would propose. If, you, if you're in a big company, an architect is really a, a person who has a lot of knowledge and can provide a lot of guidance to teams on where to get what data from and how certain systems work. Uh, it, it is almost a half technical, half non-technical role. And I can see uh, that adding a lot of value. And I can point to many examples where that, that has been successful. Uh, maybe on smaller companies, I, I often equate an architect to really a senior, senior developer who, who understands design patterns, who understands scalability, who understands the risks of, of, of a particular decision and a, a particular technology decision. Not only do they perhaps guide the team uh, on making that decision and help them make that decision, but also they coach the team so that the next time such a decision comes along, the team is able to make that decision on their own and not necessarily rely on on one particular role. So, and, and we also kind of alluded to a little bit about the specialist architect, you know, the cloud native architect or what have you. So uh, the four of us aren't going to finally define what an architect does or doesn't do. So we leave it at that. Uh, before we go, if you'd like to see a topic discussed on the podcast, give us a shout by following us on Twitter at Continuous Pod or search for the LinkedIn group called the Continuous Delivery Podcast. And uh, we'd be happy to discuss some of your topics. Thank you for listening and goodbye.